Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. As I was saying, <laughs> uh, we're going to practice Tong Len tonight. I'm going to say a few things before we meditate. Uh, for the benefit of uh, anybody who's new to the, this kind of practice, to try to help you conceptualize what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then we'll meditate, then we'll have some discussion. So the reality that we live in, the fact, fact is, it's all of this unavoidable pain that we are faced with as human beings. And it's just the reality. There's just all of this unavoidable unpleasantness. You can reflect like how much unpleasantness did you experience today? Whether it's, you know, and, and pain is everywhere from subtle annoyance, <laughs> discomfort, to, you know, some of the almost unbearable experiences that we have. And of course, this is the Buddha's first noble truth, uh, that there's all of this suffering that is just normal and natural and kind of a given of, of that we have. If we take birth, you incarnate, you are here as a person, a human, suffering is part of the deal. And we suffer about our pain. But in the Buddha, there's this huge Buddhist promise. You know, you know it, right? It's why you're here. You can end suffering. The Buddha's teaching, the Buddha's, it's possible for us human beings through our own efforts in this lifetime to learn how to not suffer. That's a fucking awesome promise. <laughs> That's an awesome, uh, I didn't know that before I started practicing. I didn't know that there was any possibility of not suffering, and, but this is the core teaching of the Buddha. He starts with saying suffering is normal, normalizing it rather than it's somehow you're doing something wrong somehow you know, uh, it's a, a moral failing or, you know, or you're just not rich enough or <laughs> whatever ideas you have about why you suffer. The Buddha says, this is just for everyone. The rich people suffer, the poor people suffer, the, uh, the privileged people suffer, the oppressed people suffer. Everyone suffers. Everyone has suffering. It just comes with incarnation. And there's levels of it. And very important for us all to get our minds around, there's a difference between unpleasantness, pain, difficulty, and suffering. Because if the Buddha's third noble truth said, you can free yourself from pain, then we'd all just be like, well, this is bullshit, hopefully, you know. 
you'd have enough common sense to be like, that's not possible. But for some reason, this promise of freedom from suffering often gets misinterpreted, misunderstood, uh, and we turn it into this idea that I should, that my life shouldn't be unpleasant, that I shouldn't have uh, pain, I shouldn't um, experience difficulties. If I get spiritual, wise, compassionate enough. Um, the bad news is that no matter how compassionate we get, compassion doesn't get rid of our pain. Compassion is how we learn to meet our pain, how we learn to meet other people's pain, how we learn to skillfully respond to pain. And rather than suffering about pain and turning it into, I hate this, I'm afraid of this, I despise it, I can't bear it, we learn to bear pain. And, and it really does, it really starts with tolerance and forbearance. And then it goes slowly over the meditation practice to an experience of mercy. We learn to be merciful towards our own pain. And mercy means uh, to not create suffering or cause harm in a situation where you have the power to do so. To refrain from kicking your own ass is a merciful act. To refrain from hurting anybody else that you have the power to hurt is an act of mercy. It's not quite compassion, right? Because you don't have to be really caring and loving and, and friendly and compassionate to just say, I'm just not going to kick my own ass right now. I'm just not going to hurt myself or hurt someone else even more. It's an act of mercy. So we, my experience has been, and I believe this is how it works for most of us is that there's a very gradual shift from the default, which is I hate pain, I love pleasure. <laughs> and I do everything that I can to avoid pain and I suffer about pain and I am afraid of pain and I you know, live my life fueled by this aversion. That's the default, right? And you see the youngest babies just born into this aversion to pain. It's our survival instinct. Nobody had to teach you to hate pain. You're just, your nervous system, your, you know, whatever, evolution, uh, natural selection, you know, there's a procreate, you know, this drive to find pleasure, avoid pain. It's just naturally how we're all wired. But unfortunately, so we're born with the causes of suffering in us, the aversion to pain. We're not born with self-compassion. Nobody is. It's not just because of your fucked up childhood. <laughs> it's not just because of the traumas you experienced. Nobody is. The Dalai Lama, you know, who's the supposed 14th incarnation of this uh, wise being, this king in Tibet, he said, I wasn't, I had to develop compassion. He said, it took me decades. They took him to the monastery when he was like four years old. 
and he grew up in the monastery practicing. He's like, and after about 10 years, when I was a teenager, I started to feel a little bit. And then in my 20s, I had a little bit more compassion. In my 30s and my 40s, he said, every decade or so, I can look back and be like, I'm becoming a little bit more compassionate, which is interesting, you know, for us to understand that about someone like the Dalai Lama, who we often project, you know, perfection, and he's a Buddha, and the Tibetan people tend to worship the Dalai Lama and say he's a reincarnation of Chenrezig, the Buddha of compassion. And he says, you know, that's what they say about me. But the reality is, he's like, I live with my own mind, and my own mind is not compassionate all of the time. He said, after 60 or 70 years of doing compassion Tonglen practice, these kind of development of compassion uncovering, he said, I'm kind of way better at it. <laughs> A consistent ability to be compassionate, but not all of the time. And so this is important for our own humility and whatever way that we judge our inability to be compassionate all of the time to remember that even someone like his holiness the dalai lama readily admits he's like i can't do it all the time sometimes i just get pissed and i've seen him yell at people before seen him just like yelling at his translator and just like you're fucking up it's not what i said And I think that's important for us to like humanize and say like, okay, we're trying to develop this really radical counter instinctual response. Our instincts are, it hurts, get mad about it, suffer about it. Not it hurts, tolerate it, accept it, be really loving towards it. Like, <laughs> Maybe some of you are better than others, better than me at being really compassionate to others. And I hear this often. People come in to the Dharma and they're like, I'm good at compassion for everyone else. I totally care about everyone else. But my own pain, compassion for self, for the body, the heart, the mind, feels elusive. That was my experience when I started practicing. And I've seen, um, you know, three decades or so into the practice, I've seen a, a, a shift, an increase, more tolerance. I became good at tolerating pain. I was totally intolerant. Sitting meditation is so good with the naked, with the achy knees and the sore back and the, you know, pain in the, shoulders or whatever, just doing retreats and just learning like, okay, I can just sit here and be uncomfortable. Do it every day. Increases our tolerance for discomfort. And then be starting to be merciful of like, oh, I see internally when I meet it with hatred, anger and fear, I suffer. When I accept it and meet it with mercy, I have the power to accept this moment just as it is and not make it worse. With mindfulness, we have the power, I think. You know what I mean by that? That without mindfulness, I'm not so sure people even have the free will to choose compassion. 
reflect on that for a moment. Like before you, can you really, without really training your mind and mindfulness of seeing, oh, this is unpleasant and I'm meeting it with aversion, without the awareness of, of what's happening on such a subtle level all of the time. Because when we're talking about unpleasantness and pain and the need for compassion, it's at all of the sense doors. Unpleasant sights call for compassion. You know, you see, you see something, you're like, oh, wish I didn't see that. So painful to see that. Unpleasant sounds, your perception of something that's really too loud, too fast, too nails on a chalkboard, you know, is a great example of like just that, oh, what a painful sound. Or unpleasant smells. When was the last time you were in a porta potty? <laughs> Do you, you know, as a meditation practice, as like, okay, this is really unpleasant. Can I tolerate it? Can I accept it? This is anytime you go into a porta potty, it's a compassion practice. Breathing in suffering, <laughs> breathing out compassion, or you can just sit there and hate it and suffer about it. Try to hold your breath. I mean, I'm not encouraging like long, deep, slow breaths in the porta potty, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like all of the sense doors met with unpleasantness regularly. How many unpleasant sounds did you hear today? Smells, uh, sights. And then there's all of this physical sensation. Like, are you uncomfortable yet? You've been sitting here for. 20 minutes. Is your ass starting to hurt yet? Yeah, it will if you sit still, right? And if you don't sit still, it will, any, you know, like you'll be shifting to get away from it. Really interesting experiment is to like uh, take a posture or, you know, and then see that you won't, you know, every movement, every time we scratch, every time we stretch, every time uh, we move our body, it's because we're trying to get away from something that's at least subtly uncomfortable. We're trying to move towards something that's we think will be more pleasant. And we're constantly moving. Have you ever heard that thing about how people touch their face? In COVID, we've sort of learned, oh, I better not touch my face all of the time. But it's, it's a striking number, like over 100 times a day, we touch our face. Like, why do you touch your face? Why do you itch? Why do you? I'm always like, you know, fixing my glasses, like rubbing my head, doing something. And, you know, it's all at least some subtle level of aversion to discomfort and or the craving, the idea, oh, that'll just feel pleasant. <laughs> that'll just feel good. I'm, oh, you know, everything that we do is driven by this, just about everything. long-winded way of explaining that uh, we have to develop compassion. We have to uncover it. There is a perspective that I have shared several times during the course of this book, Monday Nights, that in every single one of us, there is a compassionate heart. It's our, what uh, the Tibetans would call your Buddha nature, wisdom, compassion, 
kindness, generosity. It's part of human, I want to say nature, Buddha nature, but it's really more a potential. It's there, it's dormant, it's, it's at our core. But just because it's there doesn't mean we actually have any access to it. Doesn't mean we actually feel it. Doesn't mean we actually uh, are in tune or in harmony with the compassionate heart. And so these practices are to uncover it to uh, many of our communities in recovery from addiction. And I've always had that question of like, well, recover what? My traumatic childhood? <laughs> no, thanks. But this Buddhist view is recover your uh, wise heart, uncover it, recover something that's always been there. And when you experience compassion, it doesn't feel foreign. It feels like, oh, yeah, okay. It's always been here. I just wasn't really quite, I've never been in that room of my house before. <laughs> I knew it was there. But I've never you know, been in there, but this is just part of my, my home. This is part of my, the, the term, divine abodes is how the buddha where what's translated uh, is that compassion is this wise this divine place uh, that's part of your abode it's part of your home it's part of who you are who we are so we'll meditate in a moment i'll i'll share this because sometimes you do this meditation and my experience with the loving kindness, the compassion, the forgiveness, what we call the heart practices in the beginning was like, this shit's not only not working, it's making it worse. As I turn towards my pain, it hurts more. And I'm meditating to try to get free from this suffering. And it feels like it's making me suffer more. Um, my father used to say, he said, how, here, he's, he said, here's how it works. Every unskillful reaction that you have, unskillful being, uh, I'll give you three categories of unskillful reactions. One is aversion. Anytime you meet something with, I hate this, I can't tolerate it, I got to get away from it, it's annoying. It's when you meet pain with unskillful uh, or any clinging, anytime you get attached. <laughs> And third one, anytime you take anything really personal, self, I, me, mine. So how many times today did you unskillfully take something personal, including your own mind, your own thoughts, your own emotions, meet something with aversion or cling to something, get attached. I want this to stay. I want to... I want it to be different than it is, not impermanent. I want it to be permanent. So we do it hundreds of times a day, thousands of times a day. He said, each unskillful, he said, think of it as like a sheet of rice paper. You know how thin a sheet of rice paper is? It's made out of rice. It's super thin. <laughs> you can flick it and put a hole in it. Like, you know, those things are actually supposed to be a rice paper, the, the shoji screens. They're plastic, actually, but, they, you know, traditionally they're made out of paper and you know you hit it and you break it or if you put it in water it'll kind of like start to dissolve because it's that thin he said think of every unskillful 
moment that we naturally all have all day, every day without training our minds, that's just the default. He said, that's a sheet of rice paper over your heart, over the compassionate heart. I hate this. I want that. It's all my fault. <laughs> it's all about me over and over and over. And this layers and layers and layers of rice paper until it's impenetrable. Until we don't have any access to our compassionate heart. So in the Tonglen, every time you breathe in and you think, breathing in the suffering, I'm breathing out compassion towards suffering, it's melting a layer of rice paper. Even if you don't feel shit, even if it makes it worse, it's still melting a layer of defense, of armoring of rice paper, those, those thin, unskillful, habitual reactions we all have. And if you do it for months and years, you melt it, melt it, melt it, melt it, and you free your heart from being so defended. And you uncover compassion and you learn mercy and you learn to be more tolerant and patient and accepting and friendly towards our own pain, as well as the pain of others speaking a lot about ourselves. Of course, this practice, uh, and, and especially in the Tibetan perspective, is about compassion for all sentient beings, not just yourself, all beings. Learning to care even about our enemies, even about the people that we think are the worst and don't deserve any compassion because they're so ignorant, they're so evil, they're so unskillful. This practice says, let's go all the way to even having compassion for the most unskillful, for the most deranged. Let's see their pain. Let's learn to care about it. Does it make sense? I'll give a guided meditation and we'll go through it, but I feel like some setup is, is good. All right, so it's good to be uncomfortable. You have plenty of suffering to breathe in. Find a way to sit that is rigid and uptight. I'm just joking. Relaxed and upright. Find a way just to be that. Allowing your eyes to close and your arms to rest in your lap or on your legs. making any adjustments necessary, and then just taking your posture, your meditation pose, softening the brow, the eyes, the jaw. Releasing the shoulders, the heart, the belly.
and begin with anything unpleasant that's happening right now, if there's any even subtle pains, discomforts in your body, breathe them into the heart center. Breathe out the intention to meet your own pain with compassion. Breathing in the sensations in the achy knees or back. Breathing out compassion and softening tension around any aches in the body. And begin to reflect on your day, using your mind to reflect what was challenging today, moments of stress. Painful smells, sights, sounds. With each breath, breathing in what's challenging, what's hard to bear, what's unpleasant in your life throughout your day today. Breathing into the heart center, melting the sheet of rice paper and exhaling compassion. It's the intention. And sometimes I simply say in my mind, may I learn to care about this pain rather than faking it. May I learn to have compassion for my own pain. From the big challenges to the subtle annoyances And then just begin for reflecting back on this incarnation, the, the difficulties, the pains, the sufferings, the losses, the sorrow you've experienced so far.
acknowledging it, turning towards, breathing it into your heart, breathing out compassion towards all of the pain of relationships, the physical pains, the injuries, the illnesses. Traditionally, there's a visualization aspect to this meditation where you visualize the pain as like a smoke, like hot and heavy. And you visualize, you breathe it in, breathe in that kind of toxic cloud. And you breathe out a cooling, refreshing, clear, compassion soothes it, transforms it. As you breathe out, also experiment with softening your belly, compassion, soft, cool. intention to meet your whole life, all of the difficulties, childhood, adolescence, the suffering of craving, of aversion, of addiction.
Breathing it into the heart center, breathing out compassion. the suffering of the body, of the heart, the suffering of the mind. So painful, this critical voice we all have, the judging, the comparing. A mind that experiences shame, a confusion we take on in our, in our brains. Breathe it in to the heart. Breathe out compassion towards your own brain. And again, just come back to the present here, right now. These are just memories, just thoughts, creating sensations in the body. Keep breathing into the heart center, keep softening the belly. Return to any physical or emotional unpleasantness that's here now. 
perhaps some grief, sadness, fear, aching knees or back. Breathe into it, soften around it. And exhale the soothing, cool, clear breath of compassion. Even if you don't feel it, it's just a visualization, just a practice. Just melting those sheets of rice paper over the heart. And then begin with the understanding that just as we have experienced so much pain, so many difficulties, continue to live with this aversive instinct, that's the same with everyone we know, all of our friends and family, also living with a mind that is critical, with a body that craves pleasure and hates pain. Bringing to mind the people that you care about, either in a group or one at a time, and the willingness to extend compassion to them by breathing in their pain, their difficulties into your heart center. Breathing out compassion towards their pain. In heavy, hot. Breathing out light, cool, soothing.
Everyone you've ever met has suffered. Everyone we've ever met worthy of compassion. No matter how confused, perhaps unkind or unskillful they may have been towards you, their pain spilling out. Breathing in the pain, breathing out compassion. Extend beyond the people who you care about to some of the people that you don't care about so much, you resent. You judge, you fear. Allow yourself to see their pain, their confusion, their ignorance, their suffering. Allow yourself to breathe in their pain, their confusion, their suffering. And breathe out compassion, the intention to meet even our enemies, the other side, with mercy, with compassion. We do this not because they deserve it, but to free ourselves from the suffering of a defended heart. Begin expanding outward in all directions. Reflecting on this world, what you know of this 
world with the 8 billion humans, people being born and people dying, the young, the old, people from every race and ethnicity, culture, religion, every single human with this mind that judges and craves pleasure. Every single one experiencing the first noble truth, the truth of suffering. So as we breathe in the suffering of the world, expand your heart. Let your heart be as wide as the world. Now trying to breathe all of the suffering into your tiny little cardiac muscle, but the immense compassionate nature of the awakened potential that's in each one of us. The visualizations don't work so well for you. That's okay. Just over and over, remind yourself, breathing in the suffering of the world, breathing out compassion towards all sentient beings.
as you begin to move, uh, bring mindfulness to the relief and how like, the body's like, hey, get away from this unpleasantness. <laughs> Stretch and feel the pleasantness of stretching or having a drink of water or whatever it is. The unpleasantness of a dry mouth. Yes, I made it extra cold in here tonight, so you had something to suffer about. You could turn the AC up a little bit, probably. Up, down, up. Less cold. Down, down. I don't have any anymore, but I used to have this great quote. I think it was an interview with this young uh, Tibetan Lama Rinpoche. And uh, he was a teenager, but, you know, the reincarnate of some wise teacher, supposedly. And they interview and, and you know, they throw him into teaching really young. I think he was a, like 14 or something. And the buddy, they're like, but he's this, you know, reincarnation of this Lama. So they, you know, put him up there and everybody's coming to him for advice. And, and, um, and he's getting interviewed and the interviewer asks him something like, like, so, you know, you're 14 year old kid and he's growing up in the States. And I think it's like Montana or Wyoming or something. And this is like in the nineties and he's growing up and, and uh, all of these students are seeing him as the reincarnated llama, and that's my llama. And he said, you know, students are always coming to me for advice. And so the interviewer says, well, what do you tell them? You know, he says, well, what do I know? I'm 14. <laughs> he said, so I just teach him Tonglen. You know, I teach him just, you know, whatever is happening, breathe it in. Breathe it in. If you're, you're suffering about something, breathe it in. Breathe out compassion. Breathe out the antidote to whatever's. He said, I basically just see myself as like a air conditioner repair dude. He said, because that's what we're doing, right? Like air conditioners, like they breathe in the hot air, they blow out cold air. He's like, that's what Tung Wen is. And that's, that's like pretty much all people need, need to learn. Breathe it in. Stop trying to run from it. Breathe it in hot. And cool it that we have this. Uh, you know, I think what, what he would you know, refer to as this Buddha nature, this compassionate heart potential that can chill out, that can cool it off. Um, I like this image, this visualization from this Tibetan practice of breathing out cool. And it's also in the Theravada and the third noble truth, the nirvana, this promise, you can reach nirvana. And what nirvana literally means is that you've been getting burned by greed and hatred and delusion, suffering, dukkha, suffering, greed for pleasure, hatred of pain, self-centered delusion uh, are like flames. And nirvana means to remove yourself from getting burned, from getting cooked, and that it's an experience of cooling. And I was teaching this at, at one point, 
and an Indian person uh, came up to me and they said, you know, we still, he said, we still use that term, Nibbana, uh, in cooking in India. He said, it's like a cooking term to mean like to take it out of the oven. And I was, I was, I was like, oh, I love how practical to get, right, to cool, to breathe the coolness, done cooking, take yourself out of the oven <laughs> of hatred, out of the fire of clinging and of the self-centered tendency. Now, it's so much easier said than done, and it takes uh, a long time to get very good at meeting our own pain with compassion. It's a skill, uh, depending on how thick those wall of a wall we've built our life and our, uh, you know, how much aversion we've been meeting our pain with, melting it on, you know, dismantling it, uh, taking off the armoring for most takes, takes some time. It's not a quick fix, you know, for sure. Um, I could probably go on, but what are your thoughts, questions, comments here in the room or at home? If you have a question at home, you can raise your hand. There's that little blue hand. I think it's on the dots um, or whatever color it is. I see a couple questions. There's a question here in the room I'll take first, but let's talk about compassion tonight. Um, Austin, go ahead. So I have a martyrdom complex, and as a result, I intertwine the war of suffering. And, um, it's, a, it's pretty sick, but it's just what it is. So anyway, as I'm trying to have compassion for myself, like on top of that, I'm breathing the cool air of compassion over top of this, like, you know, this predicament that I have. Um, I find myself feeling pity for myself. I don't know if I'm necessarily supposed to be feeling that. That's what I'm feeling, and that complexifies my woes. Woe is me, mm -hmm. the martyr who, you know, is was perverted suffering with the war and you know mm -hmm. I didn't mean to. Right. Yeah. Happen, yeah, we don't we don't mean to do yeah. any of this chip, so but it happened. How do I do, do I should I get defer from pity or like I mean is it my like yeah some would say that um you know uh pity has some compassionate tendencies in it. Um some would say it's the near enemy of compassion that compassion is just caring uh about how painful it is to have this uh mind that that does what it does uh and takes it also personal and 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 that part of us that believes our mind that's so uh, the pity that's the sort of I woes me and i feel sorry for myself there's uh, it's not entirely of course it's not wisdom as you know but it's not entirely unwholesome there's something in there that that is caring and so it might be worth working with that pity and shifting it rather than trying to push it away, but shifting the pity to actual mercy. Because it is that part of your mind that's like, oh, this really sucks. This is really painful. This is really hard to bear. But I'm like, I deserve that. <laughs> yeah. Reward time. So, reward time. There's something good on the other side of it. So I'm not so sure, but what I believe is true, and I and I hope is true, and you have to find out for yourself, um, is that these practices will rewire that um, experience that you're talking about of 
um, you know, suffering and reward. And um, that slowly over the years, if you meditate daily and train your mind and see two things will happen. One is that, that like the, the interior, the landscape will shift some. And then also you'll just learn to not believe your mind so much when it's giving you all of that bad advice about, hey, you'll get some reward or you should feel sorry for yourself or um, the, you know, you'll start to have that space around like, oh, my mind's not very trustworthy. Like we all kind of know that, right? Don't you? Every, we all know that about our minds. It's like one of the first insights that you have of like, oh, my mind's kind of full of shit. but I still tend to believe it. Why is that? Why do I keep obeying this mind that has gotten to me into all of this trouble and said, hey, you should shoot dope and you should commit crimes and you should, you know, whatever it has said, drink, you know, run, suppress. Like all of that, like that was all advice from our, you know, it's craving, but it's all of, our mind is not so trustworthy, untrained mind, not so trustworthy. Um, and of course, in Buddhism, the Buddha says, you know, train your mind, keep training it, do these practices, do them every day, do them over and over and over. And eventually you'll create, and neuroscience is sort of finally catching up, those scientists are so slow. The Buddha's been saying this 2,600 years ago, you can train your mind. Neuroscience is starting to, to kind of realize, oh yeah, you can actually create neuropathways of compassion. The, the mind doesn't have a lot of neuropathways of compassion, but through these practices, you can. I used the example that my father used of the melting of the rice paper. There's a sutta, and don't ask me to quote it because I can't remember what sutta number it is. But there's a sutta when somebody asks the Buddha, okay, how do these practices work? Um, he's like, I'm, you know, the loving kindness or the compassion or whatever. Uh, he says, I'm doing it, but I'm not really feeling it. So how does it work? He says, it's as though you took a drop of water, like if you had a slow drip uh, of water and you were dropping it on a stone. If you keep dropping it in the same place over and over, Eventually, it'll create an indentation. Think of it as a sandstone, you know, not like a, but you know, a soft stone and like your brain. <laughs> and over and over, drip, drip, drip. And then eventually it creates not only an indentation, but a pathway for the water to roll down. And that's, you know, the Buddha's way to explain neuropathways. You train your mind by repeating the practice over and over and over. May I learn compassion? May I learn compassion? May I learn compassion? May I respond with kindness? And eventually your mind starts getting it. Oh, kindness rather than aversion. Mercy rather than intolerance. Compassion rather than uh, hatred. So mostly just that encouragement, you know, to like take on this kind of discipline. We all want to try to think our way. You know, we've just met, but you know, you've, you've got a beautiful mind, but it's betraying you. Like all of our minds betray us. And 
We have to train it. We can't keep obeying it and we can't keep believing it. Now, once you train your mind and you've been practicing for some years and you'll see uh, it's starting to give you less bad advice, but it never stops. The Buddha said, I'm a fully enlightened being and my mind keeps attacking. He called that part of his mind Mara. He said, even though I've fully awakened and I'm totally free from suffering and I meet all of the pain with compassion now, my mind still tells me I shouldn't. He's, you know, then my mind still sometimes says, you should suffer about this. <laughs> you should take this personal. So I, again, like the Dalai Lama's humility and the Buddha's humility to give us a realistic idea of where we can get, not to the place where you don't have pain, not to the place where your mind is perfectly wise and compassionate all of the time, but to the place where you no longer take the bad advice that your mind gives you. The Buddha turns to Mara and he says, I see you, to that part of his mind. He says, I, that's ignorance. I'm not gonna meet this pain with hatred. That'll make it worse. I'm gonna meet this pain with compassion because I learned how to do that. I'm gonna take one online. Rick, go ahead, jump in. Uh, probably one of the oldest questions in the book on this subject, Noah, but I can't help but be reminded that bad actors and evildoers, um, when met with compassion, sometimes see that as license to continue bad acting and evil doing. I couldn't help but wonder if the jury's compassionate to Officer Chauvin tomorrow, how are we gonna feel about it? Could you guys hear it? I'll repeat it. Rick said something like, well, I'll try to, something like, um, if we meet, you know, bad actors and, you know, un unskillful people with compassion, won't they kind of use that as a way to maybe cause more harm? And then he used the specific example of uh, Officer Chauvin, the uh, murderer of George Floyd. And he says, if the um, jury were compassionate tomorrow, wouldn't that, you know, and let him off in, in this, uh, you know, wouldn't that, you know, be a license for more people to uh, act in terribly harmful ways? And, um, so mostly what we're talking about here is a feeling of compassion. The appropriate response to Chauvin and everyone else is compassion. The appropriate response is compassion. Compassion, which means, oh, I see how confused you are. I see your suffering. I see your ignorance. I see, you know, I see your pain and I care about your pain. Now, even though I see your pain and I care about your pain, doesn't mean that you don't get consequences for your actions. Compassion doesn't uh, obliterate someone's karma. You know, and last week we were talking about um, equanimity and the karma, karmic responsibility. Everyone's fully responsible for, for their actions. So this guy's karma uh, likely is going to be prison. And, you know, who knows in our corrupt and racist society if, you know, it's a possibility that the jury but that wouldn't, you know, letting someone off like that isn't going to be 
that's not a compassionate response. That's an ignorant response, right? That's a, a fear-based or a... Um, so compassion does not mean not having boundaries. Compassion does not mean not having consequences, not holding each other accountable for our actions. Now, often in our culture, we would say like, oh, I'm going to be compassionate and not you know, make you pay your debt or something like that, or generous and not pay, make you pay your debt. But uh, in that situation, you know, from my opinion, um, you know, that, that's a person who is accountable for his actions and there should be consequences. And even with love, even with compassion, um, it wouldn't be compassionate actually for there not to be consequences. So, does that make sense to you, Rick, when I talk about it in that way? That I'm, we're talking about developing a compassionate feeling for ourselves and each other. We're not talking about not having any boundaries or not having any uh, laws or prisons or like, like actually, we need that shit. <laughs> there needs to be, you know, unfortunately, we live in a world where, uh, you know, most of the people in prison just need education and healing and <laughs> trauma resolution and, um, you know, not to be further wounded. Um, and we don't live in a world that actually offers much resolution and much uh, healing. But, you know, people that act in incredibly unskillful ways uh, in my opinion, should be mandated, you know, mandated into a intensive course in healing their wounds, because it's the wounds that are going to keep spilling out on each other. And there are some people who are sociopaths that you probably can't teach to be compassionate. And those people should be removed from society for sure. You know, this, this is a great technique, I think. Could you hear him at home? The question is about, um, I mean, uh, is about uh, some practical ways to work with fear, repetitive fears. And um, I think this is a great practice to breathe it in, to turn towards it. I think I've mostly worked with fear around mindfulness, not so much with um, phrases or mantras, but more turning towards of like, where is it in my body? The kind of somatic, where is it? What's it doing in my jaw? What's it doing in my shoulders and my belly? 
and what happens when I soften to it? It's like it's seeing the story and then dropping into the body around fear and seeing the anxious breathing and then taking a deep, long exhale. And sort of, I've, I feel like my practice has been more of an embodied mindfulness around intimacy with fear rather than quickly um, replacing it with a, you know, because there is a danger with all of our practices where we can use them as a version to what's happening. I don't want to feel this. I want to meditate it away. And I feel like with fear, um, what happened for me eventually, you've probably heard me talk about this before, is I started to just ask like, okay, what's under this? What, you know, explain, you know, what, what, what's, what's the core here? What am I afraid of? And it's, I'm afraid of pain, you know, every time. <laughs> I'm afraid of something unpleasant happening, an unpleasant outcome. As they say in recovery, I'm afraid of losing something that I have or not getting something that I want or it's going to be unpleasant. And again, with all of these practices, the more we increase our tolerance for unpleasantness, it's one of the reasons I think that the death practice is in the first foundation because ultimately fear is usually, can you track it back often to like, I'm afraid that this is going to be so painful, it'll fucking kill me. If I lose this relationship or if I don't get what I want or it'll kill me. And then that's one of the reasons why we do a lot of like turn towards death, make friends with death, understand that death is inevitable. Uh, stop running from death. Now we don't, we're not a death cult of kind of like, you know, mass suicides or anything weird, but just an intimacy with, because when you break your fear of death, then anxiety can't get you that much anymore. Cause you're like to your own mind, like, well, what are you afraid of? Some pain? I know how to tolerate pain. I know how to meet pain with mercy and compassion. I learned that. I created that. What am I afraid of? Now, there is healthy things to be afraid of. <laughs> Bodily injury and, you know, the, the whole kind of like, don't put your hand into the flame. Like, there's a healthy sense of, uh, you know, don't get, you know, you know, be afraid of getting burned because you can avoid it. Avoid the avoidable pains. But learning... Uh, so I don't know that I'm really, I'm not probably giving you the, the mantra or the kind of phrases, but you could come up with your own. Like I said, in the compassion, uh, it's not a traditional phrase to say, may I learn to meet my pain with compassion. But I've used that a lot, especially in the early years where I wasn't feeling it. I was, it was more of an aspiration. I'm not big on lying to ourselves, even in meditation practice. Where like, um, you know, the difference between an aspiration and a, what are they called? The affirmation where they're saying you're affirming something, but often it's totally not true. <laughs> and you're saying this ad thing to yourself of like, I am not afraid. And you're like, no, I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> I am fearless. I am compassionate. I am filled with love. And then your mind is just like, no, you're terrified and filled with hatred. <laughs> So more training the mind with aspirations, like may I be at ease with the fears that arise rather than taking them so personally. Uh, may I be at ease with the pain that comes 
and arises and passes. May I remember impermanence, right? That's a big one. Fear is often saying this is going to last forever. All of the, you know, there's that tendency of all of our difficult emotions, the brain to say this one's going to, none of the rest in the past have ever lasted all that long. I think there's some statistic that emotions actually can't last for more than like 90 seconds. But that's a long fucking 90 seconds when you're in fear for 90 seconds. And then it passes and then it can re-arise, right? So it can feel pretty like I've been, you know, suffering all day. But the, the reality is that these thoughts and feelings are coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. So you could come up with your own, just this sort of like, may I learn to be at ease with my fear? May I learn to uh, tolerate my fear? May I learn to understand that whatever the mind is telling me is going to kill me probably isn't going to kill me. Except for like, you know, walking in front of a bus that really will kill you. Be afraid of that. <laughs> the practical stuff that's true, not the emotional sort of ego bruising that we're so afraid of. In the body. Belly breaths, especially that abdominal full breaths. There's some uh, somatically, when you take a deep breath, it does something to that nerve that runs down the vasal vega nerve or something, which kind of relaxes the mind. I'm not, you know, I don't have all of the, the jargon for why those deep breaths work, but they work. Vasal Vega or some shit. Vagal. Vegas. Go to Vegas. Don't be nervous. The people Las Vegas. Um, there was another hand. Did we lose it? Yes. Any other thoughts, questions, comments about compassion? And, you know, of course, my encouragement is to incorporate these kind of, if, you, if, you're, if you're mostly doing like a mindfulness of your breath and you like that better, ooh, you're like, I know sometimes people come to class and like, I don't want to do this breathing in suffering shit. Came here to relax. <laughs> Uh, I want to come back to my breath and just be mindful and just ignore my mind. And I don't want to reflect on the pain of my life. And it's totally understandable that we, that's an understandable feeling, but this is such a key component. If you really want to be uh, on the path, if you really want to be free from suffering, if you want to take, you know, this path seriously, it's a, it's a key component. My, my sense is that there's, I say it all the time, there's only three things you need to learn. This isn't true, by the way. There's probably more than three, but the three core things you need to learn. The only wise response to pain is compassion, number one, and learning to meet pain with compassion. These practices help that. The only wise response to the appropriate pleasures that present themselves in our life 
is non-attached appreciation, not clinging. And uh, don't take your mind so personally or your body or each other. <laughs> There's not such a solid self, right? That ego mind and even Mara, those bad advice that the mind gives us, it's not your fault. Don't take it so personally. All three of these simple things will take our, the rest of our lives to develop more skill at being compassionate, more non-attachment and less uh, identification with the mind as, as self and, and personal. David, please. It seems like one of the things, one of the mind trainings that happens from doing something like Tongue it, it it helps me in just my walking around state to just be sensitized to suffering. Just just in general, I just feel wiser and more in tune and more enlightened, whatever, when that is kind of what I'm walking around seeing. Not that I'm not saying the beauty and joy or whatever too, but it's just something that will immediately snap me out of my ego in the situation instead of, oh, this is an asshole. Yes. Like, oh, the yeah. pollution of even you know, the suffering of the, of the earth. It, it just like, it's this beautiful kind of chiropractic adjustment. And it feels like doing it in such a concentrated way in meditation does that mind training yes um, heart training yeah 100% and I, I don't know if everybody could hear my home but just saying that the formal practice of tonglen these kind of practices that then gets integrated into our daily life we start to see through this lens of people aren't just jerks they're suffering people aren't just murderers they're confused suffering human beings um and it's so practical and we suffer less at each other when we see through the surface manifestations of ignorance and see the underlying pain that's motivating all unskillful actions. So maybe that's enough for tonight. We can leave it there. I see that Jeff has posted the donations link in the uh, chat. Thank you, Jeff and Emily, for assisting door people tonight on Zoom. Uh, Against the Stream is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that uh, is supported by the generosity of you as members, as part of the community, as uh, what we call Sangha, part of the, the students and the, uh, the community here. So every, just about everything, not everything, but just about everything is done by donation. The Monday night, the weekly classes are all donation-based. Um, if you need a kind of ballpark $15 donation, would be appreciated if you can afford that. If that's in your budget, um, please do that. Um, if you're in a place where you can't afford that for a drop-in class, uh, give whatever feels appropriate to you. It's your own practice to, to practice generosity. It's an interesting, not that you have to do it here tonight or, you know, but in your own mind, think of like if you had, you know, a big stack of $1 bills and that you were actually doing mindfulness of like how it feels in your body to give 
and then two dollars three dollars and you get to ten dollars how does that feel does that feel generous does that feel like within my means uh, an appropriate and then you get you know and then maybe you have a lot of money you feel like oh, ten dollars that doesn't feel like very generous but 20 feels pretty generous or 100 feels pretty generous and then you actually do it as your practice of what it feels like rather than this kind of fee for service that one of the things that i'm trying to teach people and that buddhism has been trying to teach people for centuries is how to give not just how to meditate not just how to be compassionate but how to be uh generous and so that's part of your practice to donate uh in what feels generous to you and that might be two dollars for some of you and it might be much more to others um, if it feels annoying to give every time you come to class uh, one of the ways that you can uh, is you can even become a monthly supporter and just say like i'd rather just monthly you know give this much money every month so i'm not always putting cash or dealing with the venmo or so on our website and there's a link to it there in the chat you can or there's a thing there on the desk if you're here in person you can say i want to become a monthly supporter and you can give 25 or 50 or 100 dollars a month or 108 dollars a month uh, which really supports us and supports me as a teacher and supports pays the rent and so please um, practice generosity i have a day long on may 22nd i hope you come we're gonna do a 9 a.m. to I think 4 or 5 p.m. day of practice with the community. I'll be offering meditation instructions. We'll be sitting and walking practices all day. You're all invited. You can register for that on the website. And I've scheduled a couple of residential retreats in Taos, New Mexico. I booked a retreat center out there. Um, one in this fall and one this time next year in the spring not sure yet if i'm going to do those as against the stream retreats or refuge recovery retreats maybe refuge recovery looking for um a retreat center i think we lost our joshua tree that i've been teaching at for i guess like 15 or 16 years they're changing their policies and we might not be able to do retreats there maybe david will help me find a place in ojai i've always wanted to do some ojai retreats so um looking for a against the stream retreat for the fall or as soon as we can i'd do one this summer if we find a place that we can do a residential retreat as soon as they start allowing us to do that soon coming soon many goodness that comes from our practice discussion the buddha's dharma be shared outward in all directions may each one of us uncover the compassionate heart and together may we create a positive change on this planet next week um i'm going to talk about the i think it's the six realms of existence and some buddhist cosmology and uh so it's, it's one of my favorite talks actually so join us join me next week see you guys then Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.